In our industry, there are few things more beautiful than a perfect pairing. Yelp Guest Manager has officially integrated with Reserve with Google, creating the largest consumer network in the U.S. Leverage Yelp Guest Manager to offer reservations, next-gen waitlist, and take out to 64 million more consumers than OpenTable. To supercharge your restaurant's marketing and operations, visit restaurants.yelp.com today. Comscore Media Metrics, based on Yelp Guest Manager, Reserve with Google, and OpenTable monthly average number of visitors in the U.S., 2022. Now here we go. We have high-quality ingredients and high-quality spirits that we place into the drink. Again, there's a bit of an association of pride that comes with it. Instead of, you know, a bartender slouching over and, like, not being proud of what they're using as vessels and tools and ingredients. I don't know. There's just like a very different ambiance, I feel. So what I try to do in this space is where I'm coming in and training bartenders is placing emphasis on that. Like we do try our best to encourage people to sit at the bar, placing emphasis that the experience is exactly the same way that it is if you were sitting in the dining room, sometimes better. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry. Featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. From my first day in this industry, I was told that the profit lies in the bottom of a glass. Successful beverage programs lead to successful restaurant concepts. Today we sit down with L.P. O'Brien, founder of L.P. Drinks, a consulting agency that specializes in helping great concepts create next-level bar programs. In today's conversation, we're discussing the essential elements of a successful bar program, the mistakes to avoid, and what's trending in the world of beverages. I've been doing this almost 10 years, and when I ventured into the beverage industry. I was in healthcare. I was a nursing student. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life or my career. I mean, you're like early 20s, right? It's a really hard decision to make about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. But I did know that I really enjoyed working with people. I really enjoyed being educated and like leaning into different stories that I could share with people, making people feel good. So as I described that, that's pretty much healthcare or hospitality, right? But what I realized about healthcare at the time was just that it was just way too sad for me. And I wasn't getting the satisfaction that I have now with what I do. So I started working at a bar, not officially by any means. It was just like, hey, can you help us with our New Year's Eve party? I was a regular there. They knew I really loved, you know, beverages and drinks and had a huge appreciation for the craft And so I was like, yeah, sure. And I think it was like handing out tickets or like taking tickets initially. So nothing to even do with drinks. And I would ask a lot of questions and they were always very kind and gracious with their time when they were able to answer them. And that officially really had me in a position where I was like, you know what? I can do this. I want to bartend. This looks amazing. So I asked the owner for a job and he was like, whoa, 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 you can have an interview. Let's start there. And I was like, respect. I get that. So he really wanted me to think about two things. He's like, well, why do you want this job? And do you want to really make an impact on the way that people think about drinks? And I was like, I hadn't thought about that. So as we continue the interview, 
I learned a lot about him and just the impressions that he kind of made in D.C. on the beverage sector at the time. And looking back, I realized it was kind of right place, right time, because I ended up working at a space that was pivotal with craft cocktails in the D.C. area. And yeah, so I worked there as a server, bar back, bar manager. Once I felt that I had a really good handle on that, um, started working at Kimpton Hotel and Restaurant as a food and beverage manager. And the whole idea behind that was like, you know, cool, I have the cocktail thing down. Let's focus a little bit more on hospitality. Let's focus a little bit more on a specific style of spirit, which was Amari. It was an Italian-based concept. Then I worked like room service, in-room dining, and really had an opportunity to influence the way that hotel guests interacted with drinks in the lobby, which was really cool. And from there, I worked at a bunch of mom and pop shops. The last place that I worked at was Silver Lion. I started as a bartender and then transitioned into the R&D production chef position, which was honestly, for me, was like, where has this been all my life? And in the COVID world developed a lot of anxiety and was really having a difficult time interacting with guests. So being in the kitchen was really a cool space for me to be in because I still had that creative outlet. I never really want to be in the limelight anyway. So it was kind of cool. Like it felt satisfying that I had like good days work done and then I could just leave and that was kind of it. And then everyone at the bar could do their thing and feel really proud of the product that they had. So now. I've kind of taken all of those things I've learned, the things I like, the things I dislike, and started a company that allows me to kind of embrace that in my day to day. In terms of execution, you put a program together for somebody. I think we've all come across really cool programs that are just poorly executed because it's really hard to execute a world-class cocktail in two minutes or less, one minute or less. And so creating a program that is both inspirational but functional as well has to be a hurdle. What's the methodology there? I think the first and foremost, the cocktails need to be replicable, right? If you make you're in your R and D process and you made a serve and it's fantastic, but when the next person goes to make it, it doesn't come out the same way, then there's a flaw there, right? So first and foremost, ensuring that we have really fleshed out kind of system of operations with the execution from the back end to ensure the end product is consistent, right? That's kind of like going to any restaurant you've been to. If you're ordering that dish that's your favorite, you want to make sure it's the same every time you get it. And then I think the other thing is really making sure that you acknowledge where your expertise lies. So often when I'm doing beverage programs, if they're asking me to really place an emphasis or focus on the service elements and the hospitality elements, I haven't worked service in years, right? So I have to bring someone who is an expert in that regard. I don't consider myself an expert in that regard anymore. You could throw me in and I, I would know what to do. But in order to ensure that I'm training someone and giving them the experience that I was provided, right? and doing my due diligence, I have to lean on other people who do this way better than I do. Um, so there's a little humility in that as well. But um, I think those two things are really the foundation for me, the things that I lean on when developing really awesome beverage programs. So you do ground up beverage programs, but do people call you in to fix their beverage programs as well? Yeah, that's happened a few times. I think what's really cool about that too is that I really try my best to set them up where, I mean, obviously, I'd love to come back and continue to work with them. But 
providing them with the tools that are necessary to be able to then deviate from what I've given them to create their own serves or to continue to implement their own creations and styles that are truly aligned with their concepts, right? And I've seen great success with that, which is really cool. Or just shedding a light like, hey, I understand the cocktails you have in your menu and why, but does this really align with what your theme is and what your story is and what your inspiration is? And in many instances, yeah, they don't need me to come back, which is awesome. So I I love that. And the instances where I do come back, we kind of just continue to work on that. And sometimes it's just a comfortability thing, right? Like we really just want you to continue to do this. In those instances, really providing staff with, um, because I never want to be the outsider coming in, right? You always want to make sure the staff is empowered because I'm not going to be there every day. So bringing them in and involving them in the process as much as possible so that they're proud of what ends up being developed as an end result. One of the big missed opportunities that I see when I go to restaurants in all tiers is that their beverage program is populated by items that people are going to order anyway. They have a mojito, but it's not an exceptional mojito. It's just a mojito. Why is it on the menu? Well, you know, people order it a lot. Right. An old fashioned that is old fashioned. It is an exceptional or bespoke or special in any way. What are your pet peeves? Yeah. You know, I actually don't mind that. If you have a menu, it's just classics. What I do mind is I'm getting an old fashioned that isn't the best old fashioned I've ever had or the best mojito I've ever had. I think that it's really important to acknowledge that. We're living in a day and age now where there's a lot of artificial like flavoring and additives that are being, I guess, brought to the market is the best way to put it, especially what these ready to drink canned cocktails that we see. And if we really want to make a sound impression, it's really ensuring that we're using fresh ingredients, that we have balanced drinks, and we're setting the norm for what is acceptable in regards to classic cocktails. Now, when deviating from them, I think. Again, if you're going to give me a cocktail that's muddy or just not very pretty in color or just doesn't taste good, I'd rather have a regular mojito. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I guess biggest pet peeves are, I guess, exactly what I just said. When we place ourselves in a position where we're trying a little too hard, we haven't really fulfilled our duty to do the R&D process. Rely on, you know, your coworkers and other people to be your best critic or your worst critic because we are our best critics. I've been there. I get it. Sometimes when I'm just like set on something, I'm like, this is the best thing in the world. And someone else tastes that they're like, yeah, it's a little spicy or, you know, it's a little sweet. And we need that. We need those critiques because we're making drinks for other people, not ourselves. So I think as long as we remember that, as we remember that, we will be successful in what it is that we end up putting on our menus. What are your thoughts on simplicity? What I've seen in several of your programs, but also in some of the most successful programs nationally, that it's really kind of, as you said, it's more about balance, fresh ingredients, clean, direct flavors, as opposed to building these Frankenstein-esque drinks. Yeah, I think the reality of the situation is I'm in a position right now where a lot of the programs that I've built that I'm not at in a day to day, I do use that rule of simplicity, that rule of three, for instance, three ingredients or whatever it may be, because I know that they're likely to be more successful with execution. I take into consideration the steps that are needed in the R&D process, making them as simplistic as possible as well, because if I'm not there and there's a problem and I can't fix it that really holds up service or just doesn't allow them to be as successful or really doesn't allow them to have that consistent product we're seeking. Now, if I opened a bar, which 
hopefully will be happening soon. And I'm there every day. I can take a little bit more risk, right? I can do some things that are a bit more daring. I mean, same thing with Silver Line. When I was there every day, it was we were doing some complex stuff and we had team members who were with me every day that if I wasn't there, they could take the lead. So I just think that with the simplicity kind of integration, you can make complex drinks that are simple. And, you know, it's a matter of doing that fat wash on your base spirit, but making sure that you understand exactly what needs to happen and the process in which it needs to be approached. And then if that's a Negroni variation, add your two other ingredients. Simple, but also complex, right? So I just think it's the way that we look at it and approach it. It's all about flavor. It's all about complexity. It's all about um, aesthetics. There are so many other elements that allow that simplicity and approach to appear as complex as possible. What are the essential elements? When you pull together a bar program from scratch, what are the individual elements that you're pulling together granularly? Yeah. Yeah. So individuality is certainly something, you know, you want to make a cocktail that allows guests to be excited to come into the space. There is a bit of recognition associated with my name. And I think there's pros and cons. There are some instances where I don't even advertise that I've done a bar program, which I think works to my advantage because it really allows that bar to shine, the talent of those bartenders to shine, which I really love. I think another element is honestly just expertise and talent, especially in those instances where I'm not present on a day to day. You know, we spend a lot of time focusing on education to ensure that staff is as prepared as possible. When it comes to asking questions, again, leaning back into that humility element, I'm always saying, if you can't answer a question, just be honest. That was one of the first things that I was taught. And I was thinking to myself, like, wow, that's, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) And then I think really instilling in the individuals that work in the space that there's always something to learn. There are always opportunities for everyone. Everyone plays a part. I think it's really important that, you know, we're not star tenders here. I hate that term so much. I think experience different phases as beverage professionals, whether that is, you know, we work in a bar, we're bar backing, we are bar manager, we're transitioning out of working at a bar altogether. And one of the coolest things about being, I guess, and more in the public eye in the last few years is that we've really been able to place a huge emphasis on that versatility that exists within our spaces the Instagram bartender, the career bartender, etc. And I have the utmost respect for all of those individuals because they all do something vastly different. So long as they're very good at what they do, they take it seriously and they're dedicated to that work. I don't see any reason to not continue to be supportive of these individuals. So I think there are a lot of elements, most importantly, influence. You're going to inspire other individuals along the way, but that influence you have specifically on consumers that come into your space, to me, is the most impactful thing. Again, if you make a margarita or if you make a drink that you call a margarita, that's an impression that you're now leaving on that individual. Whenever they leave and they go somewhere else, that's what they think a margarita is. So do your due diligence to ensure that it is representative of what a margarita is, even if it's your own riff. Do you have rules? Meaning, you know, on my programs, there's never spirit duplication. You wouldn't have two vodka drinks or two tequila drinks. Do you have hard and fast rules when it comes to the consistency of your programs overall? 
Yeah, there's versatility. So, I mean, I certainly would try to avoid having two vodka cocktails or maybe I'm doing like a split base vodka gin cocktail and one vodka cocktail. But that really is just to ensure that there's something on the menu for every guest. Obviously, you try to avoid having too many boozy stirred drinks or at least offering a few like a citrus forward serves, highballs, boozy stirred, etc. Just having that versatility again. But there really aren't rules. I think that the rules really depend on what the objective is. And it's going to be different every time you're in a space and every time you're given a project. But yeah, I'd say ensure that you understand what the task at hand is. And yeah, make sure that you're doing your due diligence and providing options for guests because the objective is to ensure that people come into the space, they continue to come back, there's an option for them, and integrating non-alcoholic beverages, low ABV beverages, beverages that are different color schemes that look different, different garnishes, people drink with their eyes, not just with their mouths. So making sure those menu descriptions are different provide a very clear description as to what they're getting. I think those are some of the go-tos for sure. And then like, let's talk about hiring for a second. When you're in a position, when you're bringing staff in, I really like to ensure that there is representation, whether it is Haitian, whether it is someone who's younger, older, different background, different expertise. Yeah, it's harder to train someone who doesn't have as much experience. Those end up usually being some of your best employees. You just have to make the investment and put in the time. So yeah, I think never go in to these situations not wanting to do the work because then you're going to set yourself up for failure. But acknowledging that when the work is put in and it is done correctly in the initial stages, it just sets you up for success. So in my fine dining restaurant, we eventually evolved the program into a scratch program. So we had cocktails that ranged from 12 to 16. And then when we launched the scratch program, the base price for a cocktail was 16, 17, $18. That makes sense. Up to $22, $24 because there's prep associated with it. When people evolve their programs, because that price will typically increase because, I mean, just like we had prep cooks in the kitchen, we had prep cooks behind the bar. We were making our own jasmine liqueur in-house. This was an intense program. How do you message that? I would assume that for an established restaurant that brings you in, you redevelop this entire program, there are going to be concerns around sticker shock when it relaunches at an identical margin, but at a higher price point. What does that look like? Yeah, I think communication is key, whether that is in those initial stages of advertising your space in press, being very honest, like, hey, this is a space that is a bit more high end. These are the reasons why. Because we know why, right? But if we're not doing our due diligence and explaining that to consumers and guests that come into the space, they just end up leaving frustrated. I think the more that we can be open about these things and situations, it only helps. Because a lot of the time, there's a bit of crossover in what you're doing and then what the next concept is doing and the reasons why. We saw this a lot with people being outraged by the price of a non-alcoholic beverage, right? 
And there's so many reasons why that's the case, whether it's extremely laborious, whether it's the price of the non-alcoholic alternative that we're purchasing to then put in the drink, etc. It's not like getting a lemonade. This is an adult non-alcoholic beverage. There's a differentiation. I think it's also training your staff to know exactly how to sell what is on your menu and to speak about the quality of ingredients, to speak about the time that's spent making all of the house-made ingredients and what the overall program is about. So like when they go and greet the table, one of the best pieces of advice I got from fine dining actually was we provide the same service at the bar that we do at the table. So the experience is exactly the same. So that spiel we gave in the beginning, which is, you know, this is our establishment. This is the reason why we do what we do isn't overlooked. And that again, that they have a very good understanding, even when they are at the bar and they're getting that beer that may be a little bit pricier than normal because it's craft. They have a very good understanding of exactly what they're getting themselves into. I think that's so important. Let's talk about bartenders, especially related to fine dining. So I owned a dive bar in Hollywood on Hollywood Boulevard. And there, the bartenders were kings and queens, right? They were the masters of ceremony. The show was all about them. And then we opened a fine dining location. And bartenders, by and large, take a back seat. The servers get the credit. The servers host the show. And bartenders, with the exception of the people sitting directly in front of them, are relegated to manufacturing, which is difficult because most people get into bartending to entertain and to be a part of the overall show. How do you keep bartenders inspired? You come in, you increase the complexity of the overall program. They're providing better products. They're getting little to no credit for it. What is the messaging that you use to inspire them to both be enthusiastic and consistent? I think it's twofold. I think it comes from that inspiration comes from the training that you're providing and the way that you speak about the program. But then it also is the way that we speak about it to our guests. Right. So I think first and foremost, one of the best lessons I learned when I working at Silver Lion or the coolest things is that we operate it very similar to the way a kitchen does. And kitchens and chefs have the utmost respect. Right. They are respected individuals in the restaurant space. When we place ourselves in a position where we have uniforms, we can be proud of what we're wearing and where we are. When we have very beautiful barware that we're using, we can take pride in the tools and the vessels that we use to make drinks. When we have high quality ingredients and high quality spirits that we place into the drink, again, there's a bit of an association of pride that comes with it. Instead of, you know, a bartender slouching over and like not being proud of what they're using, as vessels and tools and ingredients. I don't know. There's just like a very different ambiance, I feel. So what I try to do in this space is where I'm coming in and training bartenders is placing emphasis in that. Like, you know, you have these beautiful vessels, you have this amazing space and uniform and opportunity. You're educated, you know, be proud of that because these people are coming in and they're very excited to see you. And we do try our best as well to encourage people to sit at the bar kind of, again, placing emphasis that the experience is exactly the same way that it is if you were sitting in the dining room, sometimes better. Really placing emphasis on training bartenders with the exception of service bar, because that's certainly very different, to multitask and to be very good at making drinks as well as taking care of their guests to keep their head up and on a swizzle, right? So they can see who's walking in and walking out. And that's very complex. So even when we speak to the servers, bringing them in so that they can see the training that is being provided at the bar so that they have more respect for bartenders as well. 
and vice versa, giving bartenders an opportunity to be on the floor so that they see what the servers are doing. I think there's a bit of empathy that is associated with understanding and experience. So just trying our best to provide those opportunities. And the power of social media, right? I think we have a really good opportunity to integrate the way in which we showcase our spaces, the way in which we showcase our bartenders and our servers, the way in which we talk about what they do as well. You also specialize in event production and event development. Talk to me about some of your favorite past projects. Yeah. So I have a couple of events that are ongoing, Cocktails and Comedy, as well as Bodega Culture. So Cocktails and Comedy was kind of a, I guess, a love project that developed from Drink Masters. And essentially, it was the host of the show, myself, and Rojo Perez, one of the story editors and writers, who came together to really combine two very natural things like when you go to comedy shows you drink already so why not integrate like a craft cocktail opportunity so we highlighted some of the bartenders from the show we raised a lot of money for an amazing organization called another on another rally with the merch that we sold and we brought a bit of awareness to our industry and what we do and it was really cool because the guests got to taste their drinks and amazing comedy show with local comics people of color women which was really important to us that we did integrate that as an emphasis and always trying to bring awareness in a very authentic way and then bodega culture celebrates bodegas which are awesome so if you've been to new york or you're from new york you know they're very often or historically associated with the puerto rican diaspora puerto ricans left puerto rico fled to new york to start new lives for themselves and they opened bodegas which are like community hubs where you can buy like food and snacks and get changed to go to the laundromat buy detergent whatever it may be so really celebrating new york city life culture bodegas smoothies empanadas like snacks foods like that and we basically do a pop-up in different cities and we kind of celebrate that depending on the city we're in the concept changes a bit to be more aligned with that city but it's been really fun to work on stuff like that just really Again, raising money to charities that focus on prison reform, which was also very important to us. And yeah, I don't know. I just think with these platforms that we can make a really big impression and change in the way that people perceive the work that we do. Yeah. So, But only if people see it and only if people find out about it. And I think that one, it's one thing to create an amazing event and it's another thing to effectively promote it. What are the strategies you've developed to effectively promote events? Yeah, no, that's a really great question and a really great point. So I have an amazing PR team called Bond Communications, which they've been working with me since I started Focus on Health with Alex Jump, a platform that focuses on health and wellness advocacy and food and beverage. So we've been working with them about a little over two years. We've been able to establish really good connections and also just social media presence as well. I think um, I fight it a lot. But there's obviously a little bit of formula to how to use social media. We've gotten really good at it. And so I think it's just being aware of the way in which you can use that as a tool to your advantage. We've brought awareness to some of the events that we've done in local publications. I've gotten to go on amazing shows like the Today Show to promote some stuff as well and podcast, you know, appearance and Honestly, just word of mouth as well, being present and engaged in the community so that you can showcase what you're doing. For trade, it's a bit easier as I think that in the last few months to years, I've definitely become an individual that consumers and trade 
know, which I'm very, very fortunate and lucky to be in that position. So it's a fine line catering to what you want to do and acknowledging what is needed and what people want to engage with as well, right? That social media formula is a tough one to crack. Yeah. What's the recipe in your mind? How have you positioned yourself? Because it would be so easy for you to just post images of pretty cocktails you've made. I'm sure you have hundreds of images of past cocktails you've made, but you don't use it for that. It's all a tool to tell a consistent story. So how did you figure out what story would resonate? And then what are the methods you use to tell that story? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I spent a lot of time researching social, seeing the way that people engage with content. There are lifestyle influencers, there are mixologists online who have pretty great presence, chefs as well, and seeing the type of content they would put out and the way that people would engage with it. There is a story associated with it. I think Reels has become a very big and very popular tool, but people have short attention spans. So if you're putting up a Reel that's three minutes, good luck, right? Like you have to give people that information 15 seconds I think is kind of the sweet spot as when you're sharing to stories, I think it only shows 10 to 15 seconds, which is a really great tool to keep in the back of your pocket as well. Getting that initial information out as much as possible, captions, keeping them short and sweet, or at least putting the information that is necessary for attendance in the very beginning. Hashtags work to your advantage, acknowledging that people actually click on them and then they'll follow a hashtag and they'll find and gain information. Boosting posts obviously works. I try my best to keep my page as authentic without boosting, unless, you know, I'm working with a brand and collaborating on a post and they've asked me to do it or organic rather is what I meant to say. And yeah, I think a combination of all that, knowing when to post pictures and what types of pictures to post, how to get folks, for instance, I do like Amazon's like influencer program now. So if I have a product that I'm using, like for instance, this microphone, and I want to advertise it, then I'll use it in a video that maybe is introducing a podcast that I'm on or that I will be on, and then tying that back to purchasing a product. So it's all about the objective at the end of the day. But it takes a little while to get used to just pay attention to what other people are doing. If someone's posted a video, and you're clicking that link, they've done something right. So I think trying to figure out What made you engage with that content works to your advantage. Doing a deep dive on your social media, there seemed to be an inflection point, like a moment where people started to follow, people started to engage. There was incremental linear growth until there wasn't, right? And then Mm -hmm. it hockey sticked. I guess one, was that just an iterative process and you were just waiting for that milestone moment? And how did you stay inspired and engaged? Yeah, I'm very much just like social media, truthfully. So during the time the show came out, it was very easy because people were just engaging with my content, but it was very strategic as well. And there was a period of time where I was like, okay, I'm kind of done. I'm tired. But what I realized is folks really like to engage with your authentic self, sharing more personal information about your personal life and asking them what they want also works to your favor too. I've done a few polls recently. I'm going to start integrating a lot more mixology content on my page. 
But folks really want to see like a day in the life. Folks really want to, you know, behind the scenes. I, you know, I just announced that I'm pregnant. So folks really want to know about that. And I think it's interesting because I'm in a unique position. I think that certain people have access to me online or through their television screen. And so they know that side of me. And now they're kind of navigating, and I am as well with what I'm comfortable with, the type of content they want to see, which works to your favor because they'll engage with it more. So I think including them in that process, if you're comfortable, really works in your favor. You offer career development services for individuals. It feels like a very new thing in our industry and also almost counter to the idea that we're hearing that people don't want careers in our industry. Yeah. So what's been your firsthand experience kind of with both sides of that? Yeah, it's interesting. So this is something that we are newly offering. It is for individuals both in the sector and individuals who have left our sector but want their services to cater to our industry. So maybe that's somebody who's a yoga instructor who is focusing on ways in which to relieve, like to teach body mechanics and focus on ways in which we can relieve pain that does occur from the way that we move and operate our bodies. And so really assisting them in the ways that they can navigate that and be successful. Or it could be the career bartender who maybe is looking to transition out of working in a bar and really wants to start their own consulting business, but doesn't know how to get started. So it's really been interesting because I think that when we thought about what being a beverage professional was for a really long time, it was bartending or brand ambassador. And that was kind of it. And now we're seeing so many different ways people are deviating from that, right? And still making a really amazing impression and influence and still able to make a living, which is the most important thing. So I am really happy that we have that as a service just because I've been able to kind of navigate that space and find something that works for me that's quite unconventional and hopefully will continue to open doors for other people as well. The restaurant and bar industry is filled with all of these unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? Yeah, I think people should just do what they want, honestly. I know that often we get kind of like sucked into this, well, I have to do this job in order to get nominated for this award, or I have to do this job because it's going to look good on my resume. And I think There's some truth to that for sure. I realized for me when I stopped caring so much about being acknowledged for my work, I was so much happier. But then I was also able to make such a greater and bigger influence because I was way more focused on my happiness. I was doing work that was very authentic to me, way more meaningful to me. That really allowed me to explore the more conventional like roots And so I'm a huge advocate for doing what you love, doing what you'd like, taking the risk, especially when you're in a position where you can do it, and really relying and leaning on people. Don't recreate the wheel. There are a lot of individuals who have kind of gone down this path, have failed or found success. And I realized that relying on other people, asking a lot of questions really worked in my favor as well. Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. 
And with restaurants paired that level of visibility with Guest Manager and Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's LP O'Brien. For more information on LP, visit lpdrinks.org. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.